Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast, Season 3. I'm your host, Casey Tiger. I'm an author, pastor, and spiritual director. During this time of COVID-19, I've been releasing podcasts as I have them. One of the commitments I made when I started doing this podcast was that I would only bring things that I thought were worth uh, your time as a listener. So you haven't seen an episode for a couple weeks, and that's the reason why, is I wanted to wait and offer you some things that I thought would be helpful and would be good. And this week is both helpful and good. Today, we talk with Barbara Peacock. She is an author and a spiritual director, and she brings us a perspective on soul care and spiritual formation from an African-American tradition. And the reason I feel like this is so important is because the voices of African-Americans are not well represented in the writing and teaching of spiritual formation. And this is an enormous challenge because there is so much richness, so much beauty, so much tenacity in the writings and teachings of African-American spiritual leaders that we're missing out. And so that's why this conversation with Barbara is so important. She's going to bring us into a conversation about this unbelievable fierceness, this gentleness, this goodness that comes from men and women long past who have taught from the position of suffering, from the position of the margins, and from the position of committing to justice even when no one else saw it as possible. And so I hope you'll take some time and listen today to our conversation with my friend, Barbara Peacock. Well, Barbara, it's a gift to be with you today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to connect with you and to meet you and look forward to what God is going to say to and through us. We were talking about the gift of technology. We're recording this in the middle, sort of the beginning end of a, a very interesting time, um, a coronavirus period of time. And uh, it's wonderful that we get to do this, even though we don't get to be in the same room, uh, even though that's always what's happening. Every I, I've only had one inter, in-person interview. We're always doing this via technology, but yes. this is a time when we're, that uh, gift is amplified, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I think about the concept of a solemn assembly. <laughs> it just kind of came to me, uh, even that took place before we hear that wonderful passage that we so often use in the faith community, Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. But uh, we are in the midst of a solemn assembly, and mm. we are truly seeking God like never before. And in some ways, I believe God is smiling. He was like, yes, that's where I've been trying to get you guys to. And so uh, I'm thankful for this time and thankful for what God is doing, how he's bringing the church to a a different dimension um, and how our faith is being activated. Thank God for the gift of technology. I was listening to a friend this morning on Facebook and he was sharing that there's a congregation locally here in Charlotte that has a hundred members that normally meet on a Sunday morning. And yesterday, um, well, actually Sunday, he did a service and he had thousands (laughs) that were attending his service. So God is up to something. I really believe Mm -hmm. that we're on the brink of a revival and awakening 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the only way to go is up. So, uh, yeah, as the pendulum swings, we are swinging upward, and that brings excitement, even in the midst of this pandemic and crisis that we're experiencing. And our hearts go out to those who have lost loved ones and to the families that are uh, struggling. Um, we just pray God's peace upon every household, and we pray the blood of the lamb over every doorpost hmm. in Jesus name. Yeah. The other, th- the thing that occurs to me, and this is, I saw this echoed today on social media too. The thing that occurs to me is one, we, we will never go back to the way things used to be. Mm-hmm. Like this is a moment in time, which we're, we're moving forward. And I always think of the, in the contemplative tradition, the Paschal cycle. So there is crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And that mm-hmm. that's sort of how change happens. And so we have all these responses digitally, um, communities that are being built when we can't leave our houses. Uh, how, do you, how do you envision this? What we're, what do you envision as something we're going to come back? Like, what are, what is the world going to, what is the church especially? What do you think it will look like after this period of time? Uh, I love that question. <laughs> um, and the process of the journey, the faith journey, the, the, the suffering of the crucifixion. And I uh, think about Howard Thurman. Now he how he addresses that there is no freedom without suffering. And the power of the resurrection, the resurrection power that is being stirred up in us individually, corporately, as a nation and as a world. We are rising to the occasion. And then the ascension, um, being caught up. Uh, being expanded to reach out our hands to come out of our little comfort zones and our traditions. Like you said, it would never be the same, but I get even more excited about what happens next. And that's Pentecost. Uh, Acts two, which takes place after the Ascension Uh, in Acts one, we're encouraged to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, which is a commandment. Um, But in Acts 2 and in the book of Acts, in Acts 2 we have Pentecost and in the book of Acts we have the birthing of the church. And are we not in our homes? Are we not sharing our possessions? Are we not seeking to have more things in common? Yes, we are. Um, So that brings comfort. There is no freedom without suffering. Hmm. This is part of the process and this is part of the freedom. And I think about even in uh, my book, I know you haven't shared the title yet, but it just kind of, Uh, Originally, my title was The Resurrection Power of Prayer, Spiritual Direction, and Soul Care from an African-American Perspective. And of course, we shortened that to Soul Care and African-American Practice. Uh, 
And that lets us know that the resurrection power does come through prayer. And that's what happened in the upper room, that birth Pentecost. And it's no accident or happenstance is truly divine that we are in the midst of Lent, the Lenten season. <laughs> yeah, somebody said on social media that this Lent feels like it's Lenting really hard. <laughs> yes, yeah. but hard is good. Yeah. We, uh, you must, we must go through the fire to come out. That's mm. pure gold. Count it all joy. Count it yeah. all joy. I, I, there's, I sense so much, there's just so much richness in, in how you're approaching all this. Uh, and that, that brings me around to a question that I ask every guest. And, and I, I, I'm really excited to hear your response to this. But we talk a lot about gathering wisdom on the podcast, uh, wisdom to live well along the journey with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you had to define wisdom as a concept, where would the starting point be for you? Where would you begin? Uh, very similar to your definition. Uh, wisdom is the ability to live life successfully. God is wisdom. The Lord is wisdom. I teach a class at a local university, and yesterday we were studying the Old Testament and talking about Solomon and David and how God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that was delivered by the prophet Nathan. And But God made it known that to David that his son Solomon would build the temple. And so one of the questions was, well, um, in the text, it talks about how uh, Solomon would be disciplined. And well, if Solomon was going to be disciplined, then why did he do what he did? And, and if Solomon was going to be the wisest man in the world, then what, wouldn't he know not to do these things? Uh, they were talking in particular about his uh, concubines and wives and his uh, sexual desire, I, uh, I hesitate to say immorality, but his sexual desires, because uh, it was so much different in that day and that time. And so when that time when they said wisdom and Solomon prayed for wisdom, and if he prayed for wisdom, then why was his behavior different than that of what they would consider a wise person? I looked at it differently. And I said, well, what is wisdom? And it took me to Proverbs 8. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to make a connection between Solomon and his father, because uh, the Bible says David was, uh, his father was a man after the heart of God. And we know all that David did. He was a murderer. He was an adulteress. He did all kinds of things, a warrior. And uh, I said, so if Solomon pray for wisdom, maybe we're looking at wisdom through uh, narrow lenses. And so I said, if he prayed for wisdom, was he not praying for the direction of God? And it took us to Proverbs 8, and I just want to read a little bit. 
about wisdom. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Uh, and it goes on, uh, verse 27 in uh, Proverbs 8, when he prepared the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep and it, on and on. And I was like, Solomon knew something about wisdom. He knew something about a relationship with God. And because God, because he only asked God for, for wisdom, God blessed him with riches and so much more. So, yes, wisdom is the ability to live life successfully. And I believe Solomon's depth is much deeper than we give him credit for. And at this hour, we need wisdom to live out this journey together in the kingdom. Yeah. And it seems like for you from the book, uh, there's an intersection between wisdom, not only, I mean, obviously you're drawing from a deep well of scripture, but also a deep well of tradition, who you call ancestors in the book. Uh, voices that have been speaking for generations. I wonder for you, though, when did the awareness of spiritual formation and soul care being, when did the awareness that those were important things, when did that start for you? You ask these loaded questions, and I love them. <laughs> uh, it started for me when I was sitting at my desk at my place of employment in 2009, and I just sensed the Lord saying, it's time for you to get your doctorate. And I was like, okay. So I went online, and I typed in some information, and I saw this uh, program for spiritual formation at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and I read the description, spiritual formation for ministry leaders, and I was like, you know, we talk about our babies leaping. My babies were leaping. I think I had twins and triplets just leaping all over the place. I was so excited. So then I called uh, Dr. Curry and began the process. And once uh, upon entering school, you know, we had to choose our focus. And so I was uh, ready to focus on prayer uh, spiritual, as part of spiritual formation. And then I sensed the Lord saying, uh, how many years are you going to study prayer? I was like, okay, so I'll study spiritual direction. So I started studying spiritual direction and I went in to uh, see my professor who was my counselor and mentor. And he said, um, well, why don't you look at spiritual direction uh, from an African-American perspective? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have my book on a shelf at Gordon. I want a book that everybody can read. I'm just going to do spiritual direction and the history that we know and expound on that and do my research on that. And I, I didn't storm out the room, but <laughs> I kind of walked out and thanked him for his time. And when it was time for our cohort to gather, I was uh, sitting there and very proud of myself that I had made a decision that I was just going to do uh, a spiritual, just write about spiritual direction and the history and the, and the fathers and, 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 and the guy was like, you need to pray about that. So I prayed about it and the Lord convicted me and I submitted I submitted to God, I submitted to the suggestion by my professor, and I began to write about spiritual direction from an African-American perspective. And then when I started doing my research, okay, I get frustrated worse than I was before. There was hardly anything that dealt with spiritual direction, the, the material, the books, the sources, and I was like scrambling for material. And, uh, I told my professor, I was like, this is not fair. I don't really see, I see one or two books. 
And he said, that's why I want you to write about it. And I was like, oh my God. And so one day I went back to work and somebody put a book on my desk on spiritual direction. Um, uh, it wasn't titled from an African-American perspective, but it was dealing with an African-American perspective. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is great. And then when I looked at the author, that person wasn't of African descent. Mm. And I was, and it was really about um, songs and stories. And so the more I looked about, the more I studied spiritual direction from an African-American perspective, it was mostly songs and stories. I said, we, well, we have to have more. There is more. Uh, we practice it. We are spiritual people. We've always been spiritual people. And so one night I was sitting at our uh, daughter's house in Boston and uh, trying to fall asleep. And I looked on the shelf and I saw this book on Martin Luther King. I was like, well, let me read about Martin Luther King. So I read about Martin Luther King and it talked about uh, how he followed so much of uh, Gandhi's wisdom. I was like, what? Well, and the practice of nonviolence. And I said, he was the leader. He was a spiritual leader. He was a spiritual director. He wasn't just a spiritual director to a person or two or three people, but he was a spiritual director to a nation, to our land, mm. to the world. He made a supernatural dis difference. He could stand before people. He was a man of prayer. His wife was a woman of prayer. And to understand spiritual direction is to know that it must be undergirded with prayer uh, and that the Holy Spirit is the director. And the Holy Spirit was the director of King's life, Dr. King's life. And um, so I continued to do research on spiritual direction and from an African-American perspective and the connection of prayer. And at the end, when it's all said and done, kind of to get to a conclusion here is that the language of soul care can be used independently as well as congruent or parallel to the language of spiritual direction. And that's how I use it. But let me get back to uh, my defense, which was really um, a, a game changer. I was uh, sitting there in my defense before my professors and the professor said, when did African-American spiritual direction begin? I mean, I'm like in my defense. <laughs> I pretty much memorized the bibliography, okay? <laughs> I'm coming from North Carolina to Boston and it's raining and it's cold. And, you know, I've studied my, my manuscript and uh, memorized my chapters. And then this question out of nowhere comes, when does spiritual direction begin? And it's like the Holy Spirit went zoom. And um, I said, in the middle passage. Mm. In the middle passage as my sisters and brothers, our sisters and brothers of African descent were being transported from the coast of Africa, from the west coast of Africa to the North America continent and beyond. They were forced to uh, be connected to one another with chains and they were stacked like cattle on a ship. 
And even though they were from different uh, parts of Africa, even though they could have been from different tribes, even though they had been stripped of their land and stripped of their family, they were there to nurture one another. They were there to care and to love and to listen to one another. They were there to be doctors and, and preachers when there was no medication and when there was no burial, they were there for each other. That is the inception of spiritual direction from an African-American perspective. Hmm. But if we go beyond there, we look at the desert fathers and there were many desert fathers from Africa. So we go back even further than that. And I love that. There's a deep, deep richness to that. And you, you dive into all these things in the book. And I think as I, as I thought about why, what, what might come from this for somebody reading it, um, for me as a clearly white European descent person, being able to see that there are streams that began in places that I hadn't either known or acknowledged and that there was a conversation, you know, there is an, there is an Asian form of Christian spiritual formation. There is an African-American form of Christian spiritual formation, soul care. And being able to start at the headwaters and just take that take that source all the way to today, you see so many different things. And it, it's really powerful because it, it I remember reading people like James Cone for the first time and just all theology aside, just being able to see through that lens see some things differently. What did it do in you personally to, I would say, dance, to dance or interact with all the different voices you include in the book from Howard Thurman to Coretta King to Rosa Parks to Martin Luther King? What did it do in you to just spend time with those ancestors? It was... One, it was one and continues to be one of the most transformative experiences in my life. And I pray that it will uh, affect and, and, and in some ways change the trajectory of spiritual formation and direction in the faith community. Because even though it's written from an African-American perspective, it's not just for African-Americans sure. because in yeah. order to establish uh, definitions and concepts and methodologies of spiritual direction, uh, I, I use many Euro-American resources, uh, Dallas Willard and Tilden Edwards and Ignatius and Tertullian and so many others that are uh, beneficial and, and, and African-American writers like Barbara Holmes, but, um, and some of them I've already mentioned, but to answer your question, it, it changed me and it sent me on a further, it's, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. It sent me uh, on a, a chase of my history to know my history even more 
not just as an African-American, but as a family member. And uh, my foreparents, which you read in the book, uh, they were founders of schools and churches. And growing up, there weren't any women in ministry who could teach Sunday school. But once I came to understand my roots, I was like, well, duh, this makes sense. <laughs> and uh, most recently, I said to my brother, I said, um, his name is Daryl. I said, Daryl, I said, now I know we had all this land um, originally in our family, and now we don't have as much. I said, well, how much land did we originally have? And he went to the courthouse and discovered that my grandfather, my great-grandfather, in 1901, purchased 150 acres. It wasn't given to him. He purchased it. And so what does that do to me? It helps yeah. me understand the word with many members in one body. One cannot say to the other that there's there, God is no respect to a person. It solidifies the journey. It solidifies the call. Uh, it gives me roots. I mean, deep roots. So from my biological family that I can trace and from my biological family that we trace back to Africa, and from my biological family in the word of God. Mm. I'm encouraged. Yeah. I'm encouraged on the journey. And that encouragement, I think, is important because as I've had several guests on this season to talk about the spiritual journey of African-American and Asian-American people, uh, you quote Alice Freiling in the book where she says that sin exists in half-truths. And I, I love that quote because I think it's, number one, it's true. Mm -hmm. It resonates. Mm -hmm. But number two, I think in contemporary culture, it seems to get at the heart of the, I don't want to say debate, but the tension of, the tensions around racism and the arguments that, well, and and this is just, this is not me advocating, this is just on the basis of hearing it, but things are better than they used to be, or this doesn't exist anymore and it isn't that way, or it actually is that way, we're just not telling the truth about it. What does the, an, the wisdom of the ancestors you share in the book, how does that challenge these some of these half-truths about, well, there's you know, systems aren't racist and things like that. How did the, how does the wisdom of the ancestors challenge that and also build into a person, anybody, um, to, to, no matter what their racial background, how does it build into them the character that it, that it takes to, to process and challenge and confront some of these systems? Um, one person that I write about in the book comes to mind and that's Frederick Douglass, uh, who was an amazing leader. Um, and I also think about an article I wrote recently about Harriet Tubman. Frederick Douglass was listening to his 
master's, his, his master's wife, Mrs. Auld, A-U-L-D, read to her sons. And Mrs. Auld saw that he was interested in learning. So she began to read the Bible to him and she would read it slowly. And Douglas would memorize it. And I liken this sacred memorization to that of Lexio Divina. So that would challenge the system. Did how how long, how far can we trace Lexio Divina? I mean, uh, I mean, even though that's just a hundred plus years ago. Uh, but then I also think about how the library in this major library in uh Alexandria was burned, that was built in Africa. <laughs> and so we have deep roots. I don't think we are necessarily acknowledged for all of that. But then Mr. Ald um, had an art with his wife for teaching Dr. Douglas because he knew that education was the pathway to freedom. So we've had a fight uh, and Harriet Tubman in the, in the movie and of course in the readings and material over the time, she definitely exemplifies a woman with a fight in her. And so there's a part of us uh, as African-Americans that, that comes with a great strength. She was willing to die for the freedom of others. And she was daring. I'd even think about my own mother who uh, had an opportunity to start college, but had to stop because she had to come work on all that acreage that my great granddaddy had purchased. <laughs> uh, but she was a strong woman. Um, we lived in the country and in North Carolina and uh, my dad was often away working, trying to make a living for the family. And um, so she had learned how to work on a car so I can see her opening up the hood of the car and tinkling with what was underneath. I can see her with a shotgun to protect her family in case some uh, racist came and tried to do something to her children. Mm. So, All of that is wisdom. Mm. Wisdom to go the extra mile to live life successfully, mm. protecting your mind, nourishing your mind with Frederick Douglass, to have that kind of wisdom, to protect the people, King and uh, Tubman and so many others. And um, Sojourn of Truth and my own family. So, mm. yes, racism is real, but it's nothing new under the sun. Hmm. It's nothing new under there was there was racism and classism in the in the canon. So as a people, 
we rise above. We, we choose. It's a choice. Because God has given us the strength. He has given us the tenacity. But to say there is no racism isn't untruth. It's not just a half-truth. It's an untruth. But there are a lot of half-truths out there. And, and a good half-truth is, I don't see color. Yes, I don't, yeah. Yeah. And you're, and this is so. This is the part of about your book that I think is so powerful is that each chapter focuses on a particular voice and a particular intersection of spiritual direction, soul care, and their their influence where they were where they were speaking for most of their life, and the places where they intersected. And the language, as I was reading, the language, the phrase that came to my mind was fierce tenderness. Because there is a, you mentioned just now, there's a strength, there's a rising up, but there's also a, a deep sensitivity to the spirit. How, how does that, does that language resonate with you? And, and what does that mean for any of us who, who read after these ancestors that you've, you've put on display? Um. I think about um, the, the the churches that were established outside of the affirmation and will of the master in the woods and hush houses. And uh, I think about the the wash pot, the hush pot. And we had a hush, we had a wash pot growing up on the farm in Whiteville. And we used it for boiling water and washing clothes and making lye soap and just having hot water for a bath. And you put the coals or the wood underneath and it would warm up everything. But in my research, as I studied the spirituality of my people, I realized that this hush pot was a tool that was used to, when one would put one's face in this pot or, 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 or put a sound, would, would, would pray or sing into this pot so that the sound will be buffered in order that the master and their owners didn't hear them. Wow. And so I, I see this tension of this, fierce tenderness. I'm seeking God with everything I have. And I'm humble before him and I'm loving on God. And I know that he loves me because I've learned some things. I may not be able to read everything, but you know, there's certain, we have a certain instinctness just from nature, but the tenacity to do that was the fierceness of our culture. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the tenderness is always there. The humility is yeah. always there. Some yeah. by um, spiritual nature and innate by God. And I believe some that's been built in. Um, yeah. And even with Dr. King, it seems like that was a, 
there was a fierceness in him because of the fight, but there was also you don't you don't end up practicing nonviolence if there's not a level of tenderness mm-hmm. inside of you. If it's all rage and all you know trying to take something down with force, then you have the fierceness. But to balance those two, to be able to wage nonviolent resistance. Uh, that takes that takes a duality. It takes a, a non-dual way of thinking. It is both fierceness and tenderness. Yes, that bring to that. Yes, point. and I, I believe we find that in um, many, if not all, of the voices in the book. And there is, I don't believe that we can have any type of in-depth spirituality or any type of contemplative nature. Or, um, you know, we use the language spiritual formation. Simply put, formation by the spirit. There can be not. There cannot be any spiritual formation without tenderness and sensitivity to the move of God. Mm-hmm. And there, won't, you cannot have spiritual disciplines without tenderness. Uh, and 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 even to and not just for a people of, just for all people, in the world that we live in, we have to we have to press. Paul says, "I press toward the mark." So we have to press to reach the mark and we can't get the mark without being sensitive to God. And we can't be sensitive to God without having that moment of tenderness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pressing tenderness. <laughs> That's good. So I, I told you this before we started, we could talk all day. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be lovely. I, I'm wondering for you anytime at, I don't know. I feel this way about books, but maybe you feel this way about your book is when you give it to someone, there's a, there's a hope you have for them. Uh, if they, when they close, when they get to the last page and they close the book, what is your hope for people who walk through the journey of the book that you've created? That they see Jesus, that they see God, that they, desire to be closer to him and that we understand that the soul has no color and regardless of our journeys or our ethnicity or our classes that God is drawing us all to him toward him Mm -hmm. and for him that's beautiful thank you for writing the book thanks for taking time to talk today it's been a pleasure my all my pleasure God bless you. Thank you for this time, Casey. And I pray the best for you. And thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to share. And I pray that it will be a blessing to someone. so much there there's so much there to go into and i hope you'll go back maybe you need to go back and listen to this again this is i've listened to it through a a few times picked up new things each time i've listened to our conversation but barbara has this amazing amount of not only gentleness and patience you could hear it with the way she measured her responses but also there's a fierceness in her that is really really helpful for us and so i hope there's something there that connected with you. Specifically, I want to ask this question. When you look at your teachers, the authors you read, the people who have guided you along your spiritual journey, how diverse is that audience? 
if you find that you are not satisfied with the answer to that question, maybe the best first step you can take is to pick up a copy of Barbara's book, Soul Care in African American Practice, and begin to see the roots, the deep, deep roots that she talks about, not only in this conversation, but she writes so well about in her book. Barbara is a spiritual director, an author, a teacher, and preacher. She's the founder of Barbara Peacock Ministries, Barbara L. Peacock Ministries, that is, a ministry committed to developing disciples through prayer, spiritual direction, soul care, mentoring, and teaching. So I would love it if you'd pick up a copy of her book. It, it comes out this week. Uh, it would be a wonderful read for you to have. If you've got some time to read right now, which a lot of us do, be a great read for you to have. Thank you for listening to the podcast as always. If you're streaming on my website, thank you for that. If you are listening on iTunes, uh, thanks for listening there. If you haven't subscribed, please do that. If you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, that would be awesome. If you're listening on Spotify or some other uh, podcast service, thank you for doing that. And so my prayer is that you would begin to look at your teachers, that you would begin to see that our world of soul care and formation is broad and diverse and colorful and wild, and that there are deep wells of wisdom that we, we may not even, we may not have known about, but now, now we know, now we know that it's out there. And so may we chase that with everything we have. Until next time, be well, live wisely. Peace, friends. Peace, friends.